Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. We're in a series, as I said, called Be God's People. And today I want to begin by asking you a question. Asking you a question. What do you want to see? What do you want to see? Just a couple of weeks ago, my family took a vacation to Colorado. And I like driving to Colorado, not because of the drive, but because of what I see on the way. Now, after about 400 miles of Kansas and three hours of driving through it, some of y'all are going to get that later on. You cross the border into Colorado, and the first thing that we anticipate is who will see the range first? Who's going to see the mountains first? It's that moment that I get so excited for because I've kind of woken up after those 400 miles of driving, and I'm looking now. Man, when can we see it? I can't wait to get there. And, and that's what I'm looking for the whole way. Well, I want to turn that question and I want you to think about your whole life. And I want to ask you, what are you looking to see in your life? What are you looking to see? We, we all think about it, uh, about what we want to see. We don't always talk about it in these ways. But, but we think about the desires that we have, that we want to see come to fruition we talk, we talk about or think about the needs that we have in our life that, that we need to see met but because of some need that we have. Or, or we talk about uh, uh, some goals that we have that we want to be able to achieve, the things that we want for our kids. The list could go on and on, but these are the things that we're looking for that we want to see. And I want you to think about this today, that overall in your life, what are you living to see? For that's what the beatitude that we are considering today addresses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, right in the middle of the beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whew. That's powerful, friends. There is a promise that holds us, that we will see God. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. This sixth beatitude, it's, it's really the core teaching of the beatitudes, but more than that, it's the central teaching of Jesus' message. It's the central heartbeat teaching of the entire New Testament. You could even say of the entire Bible. It is the root from which all of the other Beatitudes originate. You see, pure in heart describes one who's given in an undivided loyalty to God and to his ways. Pure in heart, friends, is the very essence of what it means to know God. To know God. What Jesus is, is encouraging us, is giving us hope for today, is that we can know God. 
And that's what he's wanting us to know. You see, purity of heart can be recognized, but it's often dismissed. It's not just talking about the things that we do or the things that we think or the things that we see, but rather pure in heart references the motivations behind the things that we think. The motivations that we hold deep within behind the words that we offer or the actions that we perform or even the attitudes with which we hold. Purity of heart means that we are clean before God in all of life. All of life. And I know for some, they go, that that can't be possible. But I'm telling you today, that's what Jesus is promising for us. You see, the way that we measure this purity in our life is this way. Well, I've got a little bit of goodness or a little bit of righteousness in one area. Shouldn't that in some way balance out the other reality that I know about the other areas of my heart? But the Bible tells us that to be guilty of breaking one of God's perfect commands is to be guilty of breaking them all. Any impurity in the heart stains the whole heart. For us to be pure in heart means that the stain of sin must be completely cleaned from us. That, 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 that unrighteousness is being removed from us. And so it deals primarily with these motivations, with the reason, the why behind the what of all that we think, feel, and do. And you see, when one lives out of a pure heart, here's one of the greatest blessings. They enjoy the peace of a clear conscience. For the peace of Christ rules the heart that is pure. And only a pure heart can produce a clean conscience. But you see, a pure heart is not only inward. It's demonstrated by specific outward expressions as well. For the Bible tells us that a pure heart produces a single-minded devotion from an all-consuming love. Now, the New Testament tells us about this in every book that, uh, that is written that is in the New Testament, but one that I believe gives greatest focus to how this single-minded devotion grows out of an all-consuming love is in the book of James and his letter. You see, James most clearly explains how an all-consuming love produces a single-mindedness in us. Here's what James says. For he warns us, first of all, in verse 8 of chapter 1, that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So a person who is double-minded, in other words, divided about what is right or wrong or when or how is not just unstable in the area that is most explicit of the division but is unstable in all of his ways that's what he tells us then he goes on to exhort us a little later in the chapter therefore he says be doers of the word and not hearers only Because when we hear the word and do not do it, it's kind of like what my mother used to say. It's like what I say goes in one ear and out the other, right? And it mostly did. The person who gets deceived is self. 
itself. When we hear God's word, but we don't do it, we deceive ourselves. You see, the person who does not live in a single-minded devotion is not only divided in their loyalty, but James teaches us that we are duplicit even in the very state of our heart. Divided against ourself because of the lack of of devotion. You see, a pure heart is the centering reality of knowing God that produces a life of single-minded devotion to God. And only a love that is all-consuming can produce a devotion that is single-minded. And so this is what it means to have this pure heart. Jesus actually commands this single-minded devotion out of an all-consuming Uh, a love. When he says this, seek first the kingdom of God, he's telling us to orient and to pursue with all of our life, with one single priority in life, God's kingdom for us. A pure heart is not conflicted regarding what is important in life. We know what's important. What's important is what God has said is important. A conflicted heart, or excuse me, a pure heart is not conflicted regarding what's most desirable in life. For when our desires are tempted to think other things, we are clarified by what God's word has said to us and what is most desirable, what is most noble, what is most glorious according to God's word. And a pure heart is not conflicted regarding what is most needed. That, that, that when the, the wants of our life get clicked over into the we think we need them realm, right? We're able to go to God's word out of a single-minded devotion and see what his word would teach us in that regard. Friends, anything that distracts or deters from trusting and obeying Jesus divides our devotion and deceives us regarding following him. Pure in heart is not about religion, friends. You don't get pure in heart from showing up at church, though showing up at church and gathering with God's people out of a pure heart will strengthen your devotion. You don't get a pure heart by going through the routine or the rhythms of what religion or what right right self-righteousness would tell you. But I will tell you this, that a singular love and loyalty to the one who makes the heart pure, the Lord Jesus Christ, that and that alone is what brings a pure heart into our lives. So the necessity for a pure heart, the glory of a pure heart, what it provides for us. These things point us to the gospel. If, if I can't have an undivided loyalty without a pure heart, if I can't receive the glory of God and the goodness that comes only from him without a pure heart, how then do I pursue a pure heart in this life? Well, the Bible tells us that God has made himself known. We can know this, but there is a problem, friends. God has made himself known in this way. The writer of Romans in chapters 1 and 2 tells us he has written his law on our hearts and our conscience. Now I want to tell you this. There is no pleading the fifth before God. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you where God tells us why. Our own conscience incriminates us before God. Romans chapter 2, I want to read that for you. Verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says. 
For when Gentiles, that would be us, who do not have the law, by nature, in other words, by our normal flow of nature of being, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. In other words, anytime we would agree that what God says is good is good, or what God says that is wrong or bad is bad, anytime that we would, out of just our normal flow of thought, feeling, or discernment, would say yes to the things that God has said are good, or no to the things that God has said are wrong, that's what Paul says. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law. Where did that come from? I'll tell you. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness. And here's what our conscience does to us. While their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ himself. Friends, it's true. You're your own worst enemy, according to the scriptures. Because the law of God, in other words, the righteous, holy standard of God, is written on the heart and the mind of every person who has been created. And because of this, we know, and here's how we know we know, our conscience accuses us. Man, you're not what you say you are. You're not what you want other people to think you are. You're not as good as you purport to be. But here's the deception that takes place within us. As quickly as our conscience accuses us and condemns us, it flips and excuses us. You sorry, dirty, rotten, no good. If people really knew what you thought and how you felt, they would know who you really are. You're lousy. You're worse than dirt. But don't worry about it. It's okay. You're good. No, there's plenty of goodness in you to overturn that, right? And this is what Paul is writing about in Romans. The way that our conscience deceives us in regards to what's taking place within us. And he says this, but God, God judges the secrets of men by the standard, by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And before Jesus, all of us are guilty before God. Friends, before the gospel gives us good news, it gives us real news. And this real news doesn't feel very good because without Jesus, but measured against the standard of who he is, we are both doomed and damned before God. Helpless and hopeless in and of ourselves. For the person that does not trust in Jesus cannot have a pure heart. And according to Romans, they know it. But they excuse themselves so they don't have to admit it. I don't know about you, but that hits me right here and right here. And according to the Bible, 
it hits you there too. Because we're all in the same place without Jesus. Guilty of sin. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. Praise be to God by the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. When his love and his grace is made known to us, we can receive justification for our sins. In other words, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we believe and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In other words, no longer guilty before him, but hear me, more than just that, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you what Jesus does through the gospel when you put your trust in him. He wipes your conscience of the divided nature and gives you a single-mindedness towards him so that you can know who is good and right and holy and no longer live divided in your loyalty even against yourself. That's the power of God and that's what we have in the redemption of Jesus Christ. This, friends, is a power like none other. Faith in Jesus and in his atoning sacrificial death on the cross is a cleansing from a sin-stained heart that makes us clean and makes us right before God makes us right before God. This is the way we receive a pure heart. What a powerful hope that prevails within us when we look to Jesus and our heart is made pure and Jesus himself tells us this, you shall see God. You shall see God from a pure heart. Friends, Jesus is here And he and he alone is our hope. He is our only hope. But in him our hope is eternal. And so we turn now to see what can we see to know and and to be held by this hope that we have in Jesus that we might see God. Well, there's a verse that we've already read today that helps us. It's in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. And this helps us to understand and to walk through the glory of the hope that we have in Jesus. So we know that Jesus is our only hope, but what hope is it that we have to see God in Jesus? And here's what he says in 1 John 3 to Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We have as Christians, those who've put their faith in Jesus to be forgiven and cleansed of their sins, we have a hope. And yea, may I do a twist on words to say we not only have a hope, but we are held by a hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope is eternal. It's not determined by the world. It can't be diminished by the world. And the hope is this, that we are God's children now. That the moment you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, in that instant, new life is brought into you. The old is gone, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And the new has come. You are a new creation because you've been born again by the Spirit of God, made alive unto God in Christ Jesus. 
That is our hope that we have in him. And what we are and what we will be is not in question. There is no doubt about whether God will fulfill his promise of salvation in Jesus Jesus Christ. And so we can say this, friends, that those who have been made pure in heart by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus will see God perfectly, completely, and fully then because we are God's children now. That is what holds our hope. Here's what John's telling us. John says we hold what we do not know and what we cannot see by what it is that we do know and what we can see. He's establishing our faith in what is known and seen to hold out what is yet unseen and what is not fully known. Look how he finishes these verses. But we know. That when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, God's righteousness in Jesus placed upon us is the prevailing hope of those who are pure in heart. You know why it's important for you to know where your hope rests? You know why it's important for you to measure in your own life where it is that you look to when hard times immediately arise? Man, a hard decision. What do you run to? What do you consider? A difficult situation, maybe a a crisis in life arises. Where does your mind immediately run to first? Where does your heart go to? What do you turn? Do you turn to some idol or some uh, habit that that you know is sinful, but, but it promises some kind of temporary reprieve from the pain or the confusion? You want to try it on your own? You see, friends, let me tell you why it's important for you to measure that. Because where we place our hope reveals what it is that we are trusting for our heart. And so when I ask you the question today, what do you want to see for your life? I'm asking you the question, where is your hope? in life. And that will be answered by where you look when hard times come. It'll be answered by the name that you praise when the goodness flows. It'll be, it'll be identified and revealed in every moment, both great and small throughout your life, whether through praise and glory or not. I want to provide for you three hopes today that hold Christians. And again, I'll use this turn of words, three hopes that we are held by in Jesus Christ, whereby we can know our heart is made pure and we shall see God. The first hope is this, it's our ultimate hope and we've already talked about it. Jesus is our living eternal hope. Friends, the essence of this beatitude is what the commentators, the scholars would call eschatological, in other words, eternal That's what they're saying here. And Jesus is saying, our ultimate hope is not bound in this world. It's eternal. It's eternity with him. And that eternal life begins the moment we repent of our sins and the spirit of God comes to live within us and we are made new. But you see, we don't see nor do we know all that there is to know and see in this life. But what we do know and what we do see now of God is sufficient to hold us and to sustain us. 
That's important for us because that is the way our faith is grounded. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, the hope that we have of seeing God face to face and of knowing him perfectly and completely and fully is because he knows us perfectly now, completely and fully. All of our hope is centered in the person and the work and the promise of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Peter tells us of this hope in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Listen to him describe what it means to be saved by God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the hope that we have is not a stale, stagnant, dormant hope. It is a living one and it lives within us when by faith we repent of our sins and we confess that Jesus is Lord we're born again and in that new birth we are given a new hope and that new hope is this it is the certainty of our confession that Jesus is Lord and if he's Lord that's what matters most and first at all times and in any situation we grow that all-consuming love for him in our heart and in our life. You see, an all-consuming love for Jesus means that he is our hope, not just what we can know or see here and now. Friends, do not build your faith in God only on what you can see or know. That's how Satan tempts us and deceives us so often, is he makes us think, that because of what we don't know, we ought to know something that we don't know. That God's holding out on us. That he doesn't really want for us what is best and good and holy and righteous. And that Satan, by his temptation, is going to give that to us. That's deceiving every time for you. Saving faith is always established in the revelation of God's truth that comes to us through the person, the work, the teachings, and the life of Jesus Christ you can trust God with all that you do not know and see because of all that he has given us in Jesus to know and see of him. Remember that. A full devotion and a single-mindedness set what is known and revealed in Jesus as the object of our obedience to him instead of what is unknown in some way to justify our rebellion against him. And ultimately, friends, ultimately what we see is not determined by our sight. Rather, it's determined by what it is we set our heart and our mind on. I remember the first time I read a quote by Anais Nin. I have no idea who the guy is. He must be brilliant because this quote struck me. He said this, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. But he didn't create that. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because he knew. God knows because he created us that we don't just see what 
crosses in front of our eyes. We don't just know what it is that we come to attain intellectually, but rather we see in life what it is that we set our heart on and that we set our mind on. That's why Jesus commanded us, seek first the things of God. When you set your heart on Jesus and when you set your mind on Jesus, your ultimate hope will be consumed in him and him alone. And you, friends, will have a pure heart to see God. Now I want to dial it in and get a little more practical. The second hope that we have is the hope of here. It's the hope of here, that God transforms every believer into Jesus' image by the gospel. Until we go to be with him in eternity, he is working in us to make us more like him even now. And friends, this is a real hope that we have in Jesus. Hope in Jesus produces something that we can see of God here and now, and it's the transformation. It is the, the blooming, if you will, of the new life that he has planted within us. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18 for you. And I want you to hear how this new hope, this new life gives to us an experience to see God. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, the Israelites in that day couldn't look at Moses when he came down off the mountain from meeting with God because the Bible says his face shone so brilliantly it was blinding to them. But there was more than a physical sight issue that they had Paul tells us that their eyes were covered because their hearts were veiled. They couldn't see God because they didn't want to hear from God. They didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted God to serve their purposes, not their lives to serve his. And because of that, because their minds and their hearts were not set on the things of the Lord, they couldn't open their eyes to what he was doing. But friends, the hope of here for us is this, that we can see the transformation that God is making in lives. That when we trust in Jesus, he removes the veil from our heart and he enables us to see God working in us by the presence of his spirit. We see God by his spirit that lives in us, that works in us, and how it is that we are transformed. I'm telling you, I've, I've used the countless number of times, but it never gets old to me. I am not the man that I was a year ago, and I am surely not the man that I was when I was 16 and God pricked my heart and I repented of my sins. 
Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work and He is showing me what God is doing in me to transform me from one glory to another into the image of Jesus. And one of the hopes that holds us as Christians is to see the redeeming work of God in the lives of people that's carried out by the gospel when the Spirit is at work. See, how can we see this, Pastor? Well, we see God as we live daily by the Spirit, as we live and keep in step with the, uh, the Spirit, and as we walk with the Spirit, as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is made manifest in us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, as these things are coming to more and more to be a reality in our life. That's God working in us, not us accomplishing for God. As spiritual gifts are exercised among the body to build one another up, one serves, one speaks, one teaches, one administrates, one leads, what's taking place? The Spirit of God is transforming the hearts and lives of people to see the gospel in the name of Jesus and his fame become known because God is at work and Jesus has ripped the veil off of our hearts and our eyes to see him at work. We see God when the stewardship of of our life is increasingly given away from us and to the things of God. When the time of our life is prioritized for the things of God and what he's doing in our life. And one of those ways is the gathering of God's people in corporate worship and, and the sharing of our lives in community with one another and serving through fellowship. When the treasure of our life is sacrificially and generously given so that the gospel can be shared with other people. Friends, that's not just something we produce. We can produce it knowing it's a ritual, but the regular, ongoing, sustained giving of our treasure of life is the indication that the Spirit of God is changing us in the heart of God himself. Our talents when we're bringing to bear the abilities of our life and we're pressing them upon the church so that the church can be made known and can preach the gospel in the world. That's the Spirit of God working, changing, redeeming people. When our tongue, go back to James here, when our tongue is given to praising God and encouraging people and it is applied to build others up instead of cursing, tearing down, questioning, doubting, and speculating, and cutting people. That's evidence of the Spirit at work, friends. We see God by the Spirit who is working to redeem us through the gospel and is transforming our life. We see God as the gospel works to sanctify us as we live so Jesus increases and we decrease in life. That flows from a pure heart. Christians are held by this hope that God transforms every believer into Jesus' image. Even this very moment. The third hope that we hold that holds us is the hope of now. And it's simply this, friends, that God is gathering the nations to worship at his throne. What we are doing is not just for here but now in our service serves the eternal purpose of God's kingdom. Listen to these words. Habakkuk 2.14 commands our view of God at work. See this when you see God at work in the world. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a vision of God and what he's doing in this world. 
Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and then chapter 7, verse 9 tells us they sang a new song. So here's the refrain of heaven's chorus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. God's gathering the nations, all peoples, by the gospel to worship at his throne. Revelation 7, 9 says, such a great multitude was gathered at the throne of God when John saw this revelation that they could not be numbered. I want to expand your view of what you see and what you are looking for in your seeing of what God is doing in the world, Life Point. God's asking us this, can you see me now? Can you see me now? And I want to ask you, can you? Can you see God at work through these ultimate hope? The hope of here, of him changing people's lives. The hope of now, of making disciples of all nations who will worship at the throne of God.